Hey everyone and welcome to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and I'm joined as always by my bewildered co-host Tara. <laughs> Greetings citizens. Who's bewildered? Me? Yeah, you're bewildered. I somehow convinced you, I roped you into this show and you sit there you're like, how did I end up here? What's happening? How did this weird <laughs> Scottish man convince me to do this? I don't know, but I'll just go with emotions. It's fine. It is a bit strange. <laughs> yes. Um, so this is all I, by the way. Tara talked me into it. So um, we talk about sci-fi movies on this show. This is a sci-fi movie podcast. And don't shake your head at that. You know it's true. And we are doing Close Encounters of the Third Kind on this mm -hmm. episode because it was the winner of our Patreon vote every month on patreon.com slash TV. We put out four movies in a vote for our $5 and up patrons and they get to, to vote and pick which one we do. And we had a theme. It was all sci-fi movies by Steven Spielberg and Close Encounters was the one that... Uh, Couldn't really go wrong with misery. this pick, huh? Um, <laughs> well, I've never seen AI, so that would have been an interesting one. Oh, really? One. But... And I have some hot takes on Minority Report, so that may have also been interesting. But, <laughs> yes, I mean, all okay. four would have been interesting discussions, for sure. Like, no nothing was going to be a boring talk. Mm -hmm. So here we are. Uh, so we all start spoiler-free, as we always do. We'll give you a warning in the middle before we go into spoilers, and we'll, we'll get into it. So, um, Close Encounters. I'm going to give you an anecdote to start this off. Um, years ago... Uh, probably seven, eight years ago, I had some friends over, and you know, it was, wasn't irregular for us to put on a movie. You know, I had the, I've got the big collection, and you know, let's, let's watch a movie. So they're looking. Do you have the... an abduction story? No, 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 no. So we're looking through the collection, <laughs> and uh, another friend suggests, "Hey, what about Close Encounters of the Third Kind?" And the the first friend goes, "Nah, I can't. I've not seen the first two." <laughs> I, th I thought you'd enjoy that story. I'm dumb. You have a dumb friend. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, hope he's not listening to this. Uh, so <laughs> we, um, yeah, so Close Encounters, uh, as the poster points out uh, for, for the movie, a first kind, the, the Close Encounter of the first kind is seeing a UFO. A Close Encounter of the second kind is physical evidence of said UFO. And the third kind is contact. And that kind of gets us into what the movie's really about. And it's obviously, just to give you the spoiler-free premise, uh, UFOs start appearing over over certain places in the Midwest. And it's it drives Richard Dreyfus, who plays Roy, uh, to become kind of obsessed with kind of learning more and discovering. And it leaves him with this feeling that he has to find something. And he's got this shape in his head. And we also have like these scientists and government hotshots who are kind of tracking things as well. And it all kind of builds up to this big culmination at Devil's Tower. So that is the the general gist of it. So, I mean, sometimes Tara surprised me in the past. So so we'll see how this goes. So I'm going to ask the question, Tara. Uh, do you enjoy? Does this hold up for you? And when was the last time you watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Ooh, uh, the last time I watched it was last summer because they did a, or I guess it was. Actually, not last summer. Two yeah. summers ago. Yeah, 2017. Because I'm assuming you're going <laughs> to say it's for the 40th anniversary. For the 40th anniversary, yeah. So it's been two years ago. Yeah, and they showed it in theaters again. And yes, I happen to very much enjoy this movie. It's not the... I've seen it... The last time I watched it was a couple of years ago, but I've seen it many, many times. What about you? I... 
I don't know when I first saw it. I, this is one that I didn't have taped on VHS like a lot of the other Spielberg movies growing up. So mm. I think I saw parts of it as a kid, but I, I don't think I saw it properly until DVD, until I was a teenager. And then um, the last time I saw it was actually probably just over 10 years ago. Uh, maybe, oh, even, wow. maybe even 12 years ago. And it was the Blu-ray I watched because it was one of the early Blu-rays I had because... When I first started buying Blu-rays in 2008, it was still relatively early in Blu-ray, and a mm-hmm. lot of big movies hadn't come out yet. So that was like one of the, the say, handful that had had a big Blu-ray release. It was oh yeah, I'll get Close Encounters because they got a big remaster. It's got all the cuts. So I'll get that. Disc. I think I had the DVD of that, uh, where it had like three different cuts in it. Yeah, I, I, actually, I tell you not. I t- I think it's the 30th anniversary DVD uh, Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I think makes sense. that makes sense actually. Yeah. 2007 sounds a bit right for when it, when it came yeah, out. Yeah, because that's when I also purchased mine, but I didn't buy the Blu-ray. I bought the DVD because I didn't have a DVD pl- or a, a Blu-ray player yet. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's fair. Um, but I think I watched it when I got it, and then I've not watched it. This was the first time I've watched it since then. Um, so, mm. um, and no, it's a good movie. It's it's got a lot going for it. Um, I don't think it's Spielberg's best. I think it's not perfect. I have some critiques for it, but. It's okay. certainly got some very iconic scenes. It's got some great ideas. Um, you know, the, the ending especially is kind of well remembered and has all these big kind of cinematic moments that people always, you know, you, like I feel like playing the tune, you know, the do, 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 do. I can't even, I'm terrible do, do, at remembering. Do, do, do. You just you. watched it. <laughs> do, do, do. I, I, no, I'm, I'm bad at just doing little tunes like that. Can you do the hand motion? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear anyway, so no the movie's the movie's great um it is i think it's great i think it's uh it's definitely like spielberg maybe not his finest like you said but it's it's still just like that wonder that he's able to do so well and i love i'm not gonna say i'm i was about to say something spoilery but i'm not going to but it's it is just, it's very much what you expect from classic Spielberg. And it's a really great role for Richard Dreyfuss, who's so likable in the film, even though he does some pretty despicable things when you take a step back and look at it. But uh, oh, more, more on that in the spoilers, for sure. <laughs> more on that yeah. to come. I I think, if, if I'm critiquing the film, I think the pacing's a little bit weird at times, and it's a little bit impersonal to begin with. Um, and term- you watched the theatrical cut? I watched the theatrical cut, yes. Did you also watch the theatrical cut? Yeah, but last or the last time I watched it was not. It was in the theatre for the, uh, the 40th Richards. anniversary, and they showed the ones with, the, with more extended scenes. But not the... More footage, and I don't like that one as much. It really slows things down. Yeah, no, it does. It is a long movie already. Yeah, it's like two hours, 14 minutes. Because um, the... So just to explain the cuts for anyone who doesn't know this. So there's the theatrical cut, and then when it was coming to TV, they wanted to do something special for it, and they asked Spielberg to uh, do an extended version. And they kind of forced them to do a, a new extended ending, which featured the inside of the spaceship. And it's something that he has kind of always regretted. So the director's cut, which is called, which came out, um, yeah, probably about, 12 years ago or something like that. I think that was around that time. Um, it keeps some of the extra things that he added uh, throughout the film, all the little things that he wanted to put back in, but it doesn't put in the ending, the new ending. It keeps it the, the mm-hmm. traditional ending. Um, yeah, I put the theatrical cut because I, I'm sure the last time I watched it, it was that director's cut. I'm sure that when I got the Blu-ray, that was, oh yeah, I'll watch that one because that's yeah, the one that he... Yeah, watch the one Spielberg wasn't going to watch. Right. Um, 
I think there's some... It's just a little bit impersonal. I think it flows as well as a lot of his other films. It feels a little bit more uh, jumpy around kind of thing. It doesn't feel like... Because uh, the, the start of the movie especially doesn't feel like it has this, this through line. It's not until you really get to know Dreyfus's character that you start to really, okay, right, I'm getting settled into who the protagonist kind of is and like right. what, what the movie is and, and so on. I think that a lot of Spielberg movies jump around, especially lately. Or if you watch just like historical ones, like uh, Empire of the Sun really does it. Uh, yeah, I've seen I think this feels a lot more like like it's traditional Spielberg movies, but the ones that I guess are truly like really great Spielberg ones, like uh, Jaws and you know Jurassic Park, they do have like a they're really um, they're cut really concise. You know, yes, <laughs> it's a pretty easy story to just fall into, and and you're only following a couple of people, you know, for the most part. And yeah, this one jumps around, but it still feels like a Spielberg film to me. Oh no, it does. Like the the wonder and the the optimism of it, like comes out throughout. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, uh, uh, you can almost critique that there's not enough. Uh, either humans try to kill aliens, or aliens try to kill humans. But the end of it is like, no, everyone's being nice. What is this? This isn't realistic. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to talk about that too before, but I thought maybe that'd be a spoiler. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think it's a spoiler. Just to sort of crack that joke. Uh, the, the, I feel like with with this movie and with some other big classics, it's like okay. The, the gist of what the movie is is kind of just in pop culture at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm avoiding talking about okay. moments. I'm talking. I'm avoiding talking about certain things. But it, yeah, because I think the movie, uh, I think gets much better when you actually stop and think about what it's actually doing and what it's talking about. And I, I will say something controversial here. I think, I think it was kind of remade with Arrival, and Arrival's better. But. <laughs> um arrival is yeah well arrival's more modern but i don't think arrival is a better version of this at all because i think arrival even when i watched it i still had that sense of wonder and i liked that you know it's a it's a story of benevolence with aliens i mean in a way i think contact might be a better version of this but I still rate this pretty high. A better version of this. Oh, well, I've not. I've only seen Contact once, and I was like fourteen, so I don't remember it being that. G- I mean, I remember liking it. I don't remember it being that good, though. So I am intrigued. I mean, it's a very similar story when you think about it. But it's. Uh, I think Contact has a lot more science in it, mm-hmm. which might mean I like it more. Same with Arrival, but Arrival has a. You know, Arrival is more about the twist. I feel I feel like uh, contact needs to go on the schedule now because uh, that that was a really bold statement. Um, I no, I think because to, for me this movie is about contact. It's about communication. The the opening scene of this movie it literally starts with I, people. I mean, yeah, maybe plot wise, but I kind of disagree that that's what the movie's about. <laughs> oh, absolutely, is though the opening scene of the movie. The first thing that happens is that people can't talk to each other because of language barriers. That is the opening scene of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And yeah, but I don't think that's about communication. I think that's a, letting you know that this is not about America, even though it's taking place in America. This is a world event with people from all over the world who are going to be involved. Yeah, it's about communication. I'm going to fight you on this. The whole movie is about communication and how languages don't uh, adapt. But the whole the whole thing with the tower is it's alluding to Tower of Babel or Babel. I don't know how you pronounce it. Babel, Babel. Do you happen to know? Um. I think it's Babel. 
or a babble, which is actually kind of funny because, because of the word babble. Because babbling, <laughs> yes, babbling means talking. Um, no, because the whole thing, like the whole thing with Torah babble, is that um, you know, you know, gods. Uh, like everyone spoke one yeah, language and then god separated god, them all god said no right. and then destroyed the tower so, that they built and then everybody he punished them by making everyone speak different languages yeah so the whole plot <laughs> of this movie is essentially everyone overcoming that difference and coming up with a new way to communicate which in this movie is music and sign language which um is actually a very universal thing like sign language i believe is actually essentially the same no matter which language you're you originally spoke or or whatever like if you can speak sign language you can speak sign language with anyone who speaks sign language in the world it's it's not like there's a specific sign language for english or french or whatever it's all right one thing um and music likewise just like math math is universal like math is right which is what contact uses for their yeah. which is why i think contact might have done this idea better but this know. one because it, it's music and lights and it, a show at the end it's more you you get that wonder with it don't get me wrong it's not just about communication there's i think there's two things this movie is about but i think communication is one of those two pillars that's what this movie is uh, it's about people not communicating and overcoming that to communicate with something new which brings everyone together by the end of the movie um so okay to, so to me to me you you sort of like hand waving that opening scene is weird to me because the opening scene is like no it's saying it like any opening scene in any movie should be saying this is the, your thesis title this is what the movie's going to be and the opening mm. lines of this movie can't wait for the video breakdown on it <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'll fight you i'll fight you. which is why I, which is why i think of arrival being very much a modern version of close encounters because arrival's whole thing is about communication and trying to understand the aliens and it does it in a different way of course and it's got its, its own way of like, its own unique structure and the things that it plays with like i must say it's the same movie but mm-hmm. that core idea of like aliens show up and we have to find a way to communicate and in turn that helps us communicate better with each other um which finally yeah, and you epi- hire john williams to do it and hire john williams yes um and finally enough, the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which I literally just recorded the discussion with Connor last night, essentially ended with this lesson that both Close Encounters and Arrival kind of, what I just said there. Oh, the idea, yeah. It, you know, the, the idea of... One. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that's a big part of this movie. The other big part of this movie is a very personal thing um, where it's clearly about the idea of, like, can you have a normal life but also be passionate about something? Um it's about an artist. About an artist, yeah. And oh, about that... somebody who's discovering art and has to uh he's striving for perfection and what it does to a family. Yeah, yeah. obviously the, the the obvious parallel here is that Spielberg himself is a filmmaker and that after career in filmmaking is a very passionate thing where you become obsessed because you kind of need to be it's such a a, a soul crushing relentless Yeah, like, I think this task. is probably a very personal movie for him. Yeah. Um, and it's this fear of like, can you have a family life? Can you have that normal life and children whilst also being that? And in this movie, the answer is kind of no. <laughs> like yeah. it's actually kind of bleak in some ways, even though there's a lot of optimism. A little bit. Um, so I don't know if he had a family at this point when I don't he think made he, the film. I don't think he did. I but think I think he, he does come from like a broken home. I watched that uh, Spielberg documentary on uh, HBO years ago when it came out. I say years ago, probably like two years ago when it came out. Yeah. I think I remember that being a big part is that his dad left when he was, I want to say 
later, like a teenager, and was really angry. And I think the line that one of the kids used in the movie is a line that he would say said to his father. Hmm. Yes. I, I wonder what the circumstances were. Did his dad leave because he had this pursuit of something, or was it just more of a shitty dad? No, thing? I know the answer to this. Oh. I remember the dad. You know, oh, okay. Well, his it. dad left, and uh, everyone said, like he, his dad even told all the kids and stuff that he, that he was the one who left. But really, it was his mother fell in love with his dad's best friend, and oh. they got remarried. So <laughs> afterward, but the reason that the dad took the blame for it was because he didn't want the kids to like be mad at the mother. He thought that. The mother was too fragile for it or something so and he could take it from the kids pretty uh crazy <laughs> the man is a saint that's all i'm going to say <laughs> the man is basically a right? saint um so no like i i think as a very personal film is the idea of like can he balance this with with the, and i think when you look at the film from a more cynical point of view and or maybe not even cynical just uh like actually accept just what's happening on the screen rather than thinking of what the analogy is Roy as a character is kind of a dick, a crazy dick who does a lot of bad things. And, like, I, I, I wouldn't blame anyone. See, if anyone got to the end of this movie and said, I don't like Roy because of everything he does, I would be like, I yeah. Know, but he's so likable. <laughs> yeah, but is he likable because it's Roy's likable? Yeah, he's, or is it because he's so easy to like. Yeah, and, right. and because you're following him and you know that he's right. It's, like, you still are on his side somehow. <laughs> I, I guess if you're comparing it to the idea of the pursuit of an artistic passion, we see and believe in his artistic passion because we, we've seen proof of it as an audience. Right, yeah. Uh, so I, I maybe mean, that's the comparison. And we know that he has to get to where he's going, you know. He, there is, he he's an artist who's striving for perfection and everything he creates is not good enough and it becomes obsessed with it until he gets these little breakthroughs every now and then and it keeps him going. And you want to see him on that journey. And unfortunately, the family's just in the way. The family's <laughs> in the way. And what also breaks up the family is a lack of communication between him and his wife. Oh, look at you. <laughs> look, I'm not saying it wrong. I know I said no in the beginning. And you're right. Of it's about communication. But still, f you for laughing at me. <laughs> Connor, all right. I don't take abuse. I'm a strong woman. I don't need no man to tell me what to do on this podcast, all right? I, I agree. Connor is not a strong woman. I, I completely agree with that statement. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on. I don't realize it upset you so much 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, I've been holding on. Oh, you've been holding on to that, okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've got out your system. Are we good? Are we healthy now? Can we move forward? Yes. Do, do <laughs> you know, see how good it was to communicate with me and not hold it in? And how the air is cleared all okay. of a sudden? Okay, don't push it. <laughs> <laughs> really tired right now, all right? <laughs> Close to the edge. And you're about to break. Mm. Trying not to lose my head. <laughs> oh, I made like a part reference. You went with uh, the the rap song. Mm -hmm. I don't know the name of. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. 
I, I, do, do you know what? I only know that's a reference to a rap song because I've just heard that reference made enough that I've... Like, I, I get that it's from a song, and I don't really... Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's, that's basically all it is. <laughs> there was a time I listened to rap music, but that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not my genre. Um, there's a lot of things that aren't my genre when it comes to music. I'm very fussy. But... Mm. Um, it's not John Williams. It's not, it's not John I mean, I'm more of a Hans Zimmer guy than a John Williams guy, I have to admit. Crimson Tide is a great score. <laughs> you could, hey, Crimson Tide, as it happens, is currently up for vote on the Influx patrons vote if people want to Ooh. vote for it. Uh, just put that out there. Definitely. If this review goes up in time, everybody vote for Crimson Tide. <laughs> it, it may just, at least for patrons, the patrons might get it in time because they get it a week early. So All you who haven't voted yet. <laughs> Go vote for Crimson Tide. Uh, it's important. It's how democracy works. <laughs> Otherwise, Crimson Tide could lose. Don't assume it's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you got... That was a proper political reference there. I did not I did not <laughs> expect a timely reference there, but you got one in somehow. Boom. Yeah, very, very well done. Um, and I, I told Tara like two episodes ago that she couldn't swear, and I just got an F-bomb lobbed that way out of nowhere. <laughs> you I can just... bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a bleep at the ready. <laughs> you have to edit this. Okay, I'm just going to mute the word and I'll pixelate your mouth. <laughs> if I... It could be even better. Sometimes the censorship could be even funnier. Oh, it can be. <laughs> have you ever seen uh, Jimmy Kimmel's Unnecessary Censorship where they just they do that when they're yeah, saying other things and it just looks like they're saying the most awful things? But, but you know the scene from the movie anyway, so you know they're not, but it just looks like they're saying like, yeah. the most extreme weird shit um my favorite one was for, it was a scene from lost where uh, the villain should go we're going to have to take the boy uh but they they censored the word take so it was we're going to have oh, no. to bleep the boy and it just made it like 10 times funnier <laughs> anyway um those are great and look at that look at how we're talking about because what, what, what are we what does that joke come from it comes from muddying up the communication okay. of what's being said yeah i get it <laughs> let's go on to the theme of the artist <laughs> okay the theme of the artist <laughs> well I, th I think we'll, we'll work through the film soon and we'll we'll talk about uh how these themes come in at various points um uh but only one of those themes comes in in the opening scene i'm just pointing that <laughs> just pointing that got it yeah um okay i'll stop being a dick now yeah, I'm over it. So let's move on. Okay. <laughs> um, so obviously the music's great. Uh, there's also a lot of faces in there, uh, young faces that. Now, you you messaged me when you were maybe like 30, 40 minutes into the movie mm -hmm. with a with a, a eureka moment where you go, "Oh, I recognize someone, right?" Mm -hmm. And what's funny is I had that same moment, but I had it in the last thirty minutes of the movie, which means he was around before then, and I just yeah, never noticed. He's in, the scene, he's in the scene where you, uh, where the French guy is doing the presentation. Sure. And yeah. then everybody stands up and applauds and stuff like that, and you see him there. Yeah, that, this is right after the the Indian uh, chanting mm -hmm. of the the tune. Yes. Um. So, yeah, Lance Henriksen's in there in a, in a small yeah. role. Um, Bishop. Bishop, uh, also a detective from Terminator and the vampire from Near Dark and a bunch of other roles that he's fantastic. The lead in. of Millennium. I never, I never watched. Yeah, I never I watched that. I always remember the trailers for him. 
I've heard good things. I, I I heard that was a really solid, like darker Chris Carter show that people were really into. It got cancelled before it maybe like wasn't it about like demons and stuff. I think so. Um, I think it may have been technically an X Files spinoff, actually, like in a very mm-hmm. loose way. I, I don't think you had to have seen X Files to follow it, but like there was kind of like a in the same universe kind of connection going on with it. But no, I love Lance Harrison. That was a really fun moment. Uh, Carl Weathers has a really small role as a soldier as well at one point. Yeah. Um, I remember that he was in it because he's pretty hard to miss. He's Carl Weathers. Lance Anderson looks really like young and smooth. <laughs> I mean, it's only being all wrinkled. I mean, it's only what seven years before Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Must have been rough seven years. (laughs) I don't know. End of the seventies, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't. Yeah, he looks really young. Like he, he's. I think he's easy to miss because he doesn't really have that many lines. Yeah, and he's still sort of in the background, but like a. Actually, it was his one line of dialogue. It's his one line of dialogue that I noticed. I, I realized it was him because he says like "look up" or something like that at one point. And that's all he says. That's his entire like script. It's just him saying, "Hey, look up there." And it was when he said his line, I was like, "That's Lance Henriksen." <laughs> I, um, I can't believe I never noticed before. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's I mean, he's not super young. He's he's just young guy. He's you know, he's I, I think he's still older than what I am right now in this movie. Mm, maybe older than I, you. That's less maybe lately. he's probably like thirty. Yeah, he's in his thirties. He's in his thirties. Oh, I'm clicking on. Let's see what. Let's see when he was born. What age was he? He is thirty-seven in this movie. Oh, okay. So he's even older than you. Yes. <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> but, but yes, by a lot, of course. Yes, by tons, tons of tons of years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Probably my father. <laughs> He's probably old enough to be your grandfather, actually, <laughs> in yeah. terms of his actual age. Um, so, um, yeah. Do you know what's weird? Actually, watching movies from the 70s and stuff, and you're realizing that everyone who's about 30 in this movie is like 70 now. I'm like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Time sneaks up on you. <laughs> it really does. Um, so, no, you got you got all these recognizable faces. and um, Terry Garr and Melinda Dillon. Hmm. Who Melinda Dillon? I always re- remember more from the Christmas Story, because she's the mother in that film. Oh, I've but seen she that. She has but... really curly hair, so she's she looks like a totally different human. That that's one of those uh, Christmas stories—a movie that was never a thing in the UK growing up. Like it's, it's something when oh, I hear it. Even though you guys love Christmas so much. Yeah, even yeah, we love Christmas, and you know, Home Alone was huge in my generation. You know, me and all my friends all grew up watching Home Alone. You you just can't get past the Dickens. Um, you gotta watch Christmas Carols, I guess. Obviously, I've, no, I mean, some Christmas Carols, you know, I love Scrooge with Bill Murray. I mean, Murray. how many versions of Christmas Carol do you guys have? Um, There's I, a new one every year. Yeah, the, the main one... Uh, the Muppets? Muppets is good. Although, I think the main one I had in tape as a kid was at uh, a Disney one. There was, like, a animated one with Disney characters. Oh, yeah, Mickey. Yeah. Mickey's Christmas Carol. Um, I like Scrooge, though, with Bill Murray. is my is the one I like. Um... But no, I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that one that much. <laughs> oh, come on, come on, come on. Uh, in December, guys, this is going to turn into a Christmas podcast just so that I can show Tara Scrooge again and write this wrong. Um, <laughs> so, no, um, a Christmas story. <laughs> that was like a weird second laugh there. <laughs> it's like, it's like it was funny, but then you really I thought like about that what I said. I like that I made a statement like that and walked away. <laughs> Uh, 
but no the i saw a christmas story like like five or six years ago it was like oh you know that's one that i always hear people talk about uh mm-hmm. you know american specifically it's like oh, i'll watch it and it is very much it, it, it's actually a really solid christmas movie for kids because it's very much about looking forward to the one present you want and that was very yeah. much what christmas was for me because I, I didn't care about religion i just wanted presents yeah <laughs> so it spoke to me even in my, my older <laughs> years but, but Sorry. Th- thanks foxy uh thanks for yeah. that sorry listeners <laughs> so yeah um obviously there's some great visuals with the ships and stuff like that the, the lights and uh i think obviously one of the most famous moments from the film is uh the the lights pulling up behind the car and mm-hmm. instead of driving around him just lift up and rise yeah, above it's really good really good moment i and- love um i was watching the credits of the film and <laughs> i love the it's it just says special effects by one guy <laughs> you don't get movies like that anymore oh no 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 no, no. there's a reason why credits now for blockbusters are at least 10 minutes long because it gets to special effects and then there's a list of about 1500 names yeah they have to have like three columns now (laughs) to fit everyone's name you end up you talk to a visual effects artist and like oh so what did you do in you know avengers well i did (laughs) i did like two of the characters in one scene that was my job i did the cg for that one scene and just worked on that for five months (laughs) yeah that sounds about right yeah um you have a different cg company doing the background you have a different cg company doing uh, like cg props and all sorts it's a whole thing uh and the effects look good they hold up uh mm-hmm. very pretty very i pretty. agree yes uh, tara's having like, some communication errors with her dog thanks yeah <laughs> one way to put it <laughs> Oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble when this episode's over. Um, so, we um, have the, the main plot in the movie to work through. So, at this point, I am going to say full spoilers for Close Encounters. Of- oh, we're not in spoilers yet? Oops. No. <laughs> Why? What did you say? I, I just thought that we were. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we're not. No. But now we are. We're not in spoilers. We went over the spoiler the spoiler uh, threshold, as it were. Got it. <laughs> Oh dear! How are you guys at home? Are you enjoying this this empty chair portion of the, of the podcast? Um, Tara's went invisible, and uh, she's still. <laughs> it's a good chair. <laughs> it's a good chair. Got a lot of char- charisma. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, I mean, most of you regulars will be familiar now with Tara's cat Gus and the constant issues that he likes to cause uh, during recording. I know it's getting worse. Yeah. You need, you need to doze on with something before we record so he's just sleeping he's like yeah well yeah time for sleep during, during recording time i know like, <sighs> i try he's normally just like a blob of a cat all day he just doesn't like it when i'm up late <laughs> <laughs> the plot of the movie we start with uh the scene where they find the the planes from world war Two uh that look brand new and it's like well all these pilots were reported missing in the 40s what happened what's going on um which funnily enough made me think of a twilight zone episode that we did not too long ago um about a pilot mm-hmm. cu- coming through time so uh, that, was, that was a neat little thing to think about um and then it, the scene after this and we could we, we mentioned that this was a, a lot of this was about communicating and uh how the you know the, the guy who's actually the uh cartographer just had to think of what the word was um 
he actually ends up being more useful because he can speak French. So he trans starts translating and uh, doing things like that. Uh, but the next scene after this is actually just a scene in like a, an air traffic control room um, mm-hmm. where they're talking to two pilots in different planes and the planes see these lights in the sky and it's just this moment of confusion and they're like, oh, that's going to hit me and it's all, you have to bank now and so on and so on. Do, do you bank in, the, in a proper plane? I don't know. I'm sure he did a barrel roll. <laughs> he did a barrel roll. <laughs> It's a 747 full of, like, you know, hundreds of passengers and he's in a barrel. <laughs> um, but, you know, so afterwards, there's a neat thing at the end of the scene, though, where they're like, hey, uh, do you want to report a UFO? And he's like, no, I don't want to report that. And then he asks no. the second pilot, he's like, nah, we don't want to report anything either because we, we wouldn't know what to report. And yeah. he's like, yeah, okay. And I think this is actually a really good scene. I do think it's a mistake putting this second. I think that we should have maybe been introduced to uh, Roy, like, more quicker. Really? Yeah. I don't I, know. I always like this scene a lot because it's it really shows off Spielberg's skill as a director because everybody's just talking in full jargon, <laughs> full oh, sure. air traffic control jargon. And you know immediately because of the direction and because what everyone around him, the guy who's talking directly with the pilots is uh, like, they're all of their mannerisms and, and like um, the fact that everyone's leaning in and you start to really like intensify like what you're listening to. And it, for the most part, you can follow it, but it should be a really boring scene because you don't really see anything. You're just listening to a guy talk to somebody over <laughs> a radio and it, it gets really tense really fast and you realize you're watching or you're watching something that is alien, you know, that's happening. And it's, I think it's really well done. I've, I've always really liked this scene a lot. Oh no, like I said, I like the scene a lot. I think the scene's handled perfectly. And I like the point of the scene is that even when they see something, they're just not willing to, to go on the record for it. Um, I just, I just think it should have been moved I, after. Yeah. I don't know that we need to see Roy before we do, because Roy's introduction is, you know, is, family guy who's trying to like is uh he's he's stuck in the middle of this situation that's progressing and that is more of a progression yeah i just think it would be nice to get get a sense of him and get get this sort of cam okay this is our protagonist this is our main character uh, before we go back to kind of like the world building again. I, I just thought it was strange for me that there was two sep- completely separate world building scenes before we get to... I mean, it's, just, it's a very little thing. It's not a big deal. It's just one of those little things where I'm like, oh, I would have swapped that scene with maybe the next scene. Uh, you know, so I'd put... I'd put Because Roy's introduction, of course, we meet him with his family, who isn't first. We actually meet the single mum first, uh, Jillian. But... Um, you know, like a big part of his his home life is uh is how chaotic it is. It's it's almost annoying to watch at points because the kids are constantly making noise and they're kind of shouting over each other. Yeah, and... but that's Spielberg thing, right? Like, yeah, yes. every time there's but... always it, it. Yeah, everybody's always talking on top of each other. You don't really know who to listen to until like the people start calming down because there's something happening. Yeah, and I think here though it's more chaotic, and I think it's meant to paint his family life as miserable, and you don't want any part of it, <laughs> which is maybe what makes you side with him a bit more when he starts gravitating away from it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, but there is a scene in the middle of the film that uh, is is pretty hard to watch at the dinner table, and oh, like sure. the kids crying and stuff, and you're like, oh, like this is really rough. Oh yeah, I'm not like. But here's the thing, though. What I think is interesting is that he doesn't choose to leave his family. 
his family well not the whole family the kids don't exactly have a choice in it but the mum chooses to leave him um and it's not so much to say that i'm saying it's her fault that they they do separate because obviously the way he's being is very much the cause of it but i think it's very interesting this idea that if, if this is spielberg kind of like being scared of what he can and can't have as he's scared that his passion for what he does will drive someone away and they'll make the choice themselves to uh to to abandon him um you know they can't understand yeah they just can't understand what we know the way his mind works and so on and so on um so but you know so much of it's so noisy the kids are and i'm like yeah throw the kids out the window just go for it it's fine i don't know when he wakes them all up and they're like Oh. halfway off the bed or like sleeping with their butt in the air yeah yeah great no i was going to mention this the the way his kids sleep they're like freaking aliens themselves the daughter is lying face down but has her knees up to her chest so her ass is like straight up into the air and then when he goes into the boys room one of the boys is on a bunk bed and his like the entire bottom half of his body is literally draped <laughs> off the side of the bed it, it, but it's not even like he's, he's lying horizontal in the bed he's he's his top half is completely as you'd expect his, his legs just veer off the side and are really awkward it looks so uncomfortable i know for those kids it's so funny I never slept with that as a kid. He doesn't even face him as a dad because he's clearly seen this every single day when he has to wake up the kids. Also, I did notice actually when he goes into work because he works for the electric board or whatever, he goes in and there's a big power out. That's what kind of like gets everything going. Obviously, it's the UFOs that have caused it. He goes in and... Uh, they keep talking about Crystal Lake, and obviously, I know. And I, I just started I laughing for the first time this time too while watching yeah. it. Like, wait a second. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Friday the Thirteenth came later, and obviously, Crystal Lake is a real name that's of a few places, so it's, sure. yeah. it's, it's fair enough. But it is now all I can think of when I hear Crystal Lake is. You know, that's all I can think about. Uh, I was like, oh, Jason's got his shot. We've got Jason Verhees on the Pearl. Um, Jason's an alien, confirmed. Oh, yeah, sure. Hell, <laughs> makes sense. He's been to space. Mm-hmm. What if this is the second Earth? What if this is the Earth from the end of Jason X where he lands on a new planet that's Earth-like? This is actually not our Earth. This is this is the Earth that he lands on after being in space. And we thought this was a story of benevolent aliens. <laughs> we were wrong. No, nah, there's a violent slasher villain. Frill in the hills, looking for his next victim. Um, so, and you know, we get, we get all the toys playing up. You know, the, the, the Jillian's house, like all, all of the son's toys start going on by themselves and acting weird, and and so on and so on. And he, he goes out on his own to he's, he's meant to go and fix some thing somewhere, some electrical box. I don't, I, I don't know. They speak in jargon so quickly that I just you get the gist that he's going to fix you know something in the power grid. But right, he's being given responsibility. Yeah. Somebody doesn't want him to have it, and then another person's like, "Well, I'm giving it to him because the main guy is stuck doing something else." You get the idea that it's just chaotic. Yeah, the, the, the entire tone. An opportunity that is good for him. Yeah, the entire tone has lost its power. So clearly, it's it's chaotic. There's people. They're all running around trying to fix things and uh mm-hmm. this is not a one-man job clearly so um but they send him out and he's getting lost and uh try to read maps which again is kind of tied into the theme of the movie where like the entire message is about a location and he's struggling to look through a map and you know, we have multiple characters and multiple plots looking at maps and globes and other things and, and all that kind of thing um 
but yeah so he he so and what i love about the whole lights behind the, the car that go up thing is that they actually set it up beautifully you know spielberg has it happen normally first where as a car it comes up behind them and i always mm-hmm. forget this because when, when the car came up behind him i expected it to go up because you just see the lights yep. right and yeah it, it set you up yeah and then it drives and then it just drives around him normal and the guy's like oh you're in the middle of the road dickhead or whatever he says and i'm like oh that's neat he actually like i always <laughs> remember the payoff <laughs> that's right yes he calls him a turkey as he as he drives away that's right um I just love the way he shouts, turkey! <laughs> um, is that a common insult in this part of the country? I, <laughs> um, I want to say yes for uh, this time. For this time, sure. Because I've seen other films from the 70s where turkey is like an insult. Yeah. Well, speaking of the 70s, uh, I noticed a lot of product placement in this, but obviously it's the 70s. So it's, it's like, a lot of Budweiser. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Baskin Robbins had a completely different logo. I was not prepared for that. Um, Wiggly Wiggly. Yes. Although McDonald's hasn't changed a bit. They cut to McDonald's at one point. I'm like, that looks exactly like a McDonald's right now in 2019. <laughs> yeah. There's one scene where he's like building a, a clay sculpture and he's just surrounded by cans of Budweiser and the TV's on and there's a Budweiser commercial <laughs> and later you see like a Budweiser <laughs> truck you're like okay we get it yeah what's funny it. what's funny is that Sony didn't own Columbia yet but that's a very Sony thing to do like I, I think of Sony when I think of bad product placement um, yeah. so it's really funny Transformers they ended up like owning this World War Z. <laughs> well Transformers wasn't Sony Transformers was uh, Paramount Oh, I think of Transformers. <laughs> oh, no, that's a fair word. Uh, they have a lot. Like, all the cars happen to be the same. Uh, like, every single car um, in the movie is the same make. Or the same brand. What we, what the correct term is, I don't know. Um, yeah, make is right. Yeah. So, yeah, so we have the big famous lights here, and we, we get, you know... Yeah, he essentially has this this experience where he's looking up out of the light, and there's, like, the bright lights, and the, 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 you know, the mailboxes are shaking, and um everything's rumbling and then he chases off after it because he has to like prove to himself that he's seen it you know this is the start of the obsession mm-hmm. um and he hears uh, over the radio that it's moving that mm-hmm. other people are noticing it i don't know if it's picking up just other like electrical crew people or just people i don't know civilians just on a radio but like mm-hmm. he's picking it up and has to chase it yeah and he ends up it's like him and a couple of cops he almost hits the yeah, jillian's uh, son because he was wandered out because she's basically chasing him like he, he's wandered out from the house and she's just chasing him <laughs> basically yeah. but they all end up seeing these ships all three ships and then the one final little red light kind of flying past mm-hmm. uh, and it's a spiritual experience for them um and uh roy gets gets a uh, sunburned essentially <laughs> like down half of his face he's got a bit of a two-faced yeah. thing going um so uh, you know his wife's concerned about this you know the next day she, you know, and even before we get to that he comes in and he's like raving and ranting as oh i saw this thing and it was like whoosh and he's like oh, like uh oh, we have to go we have to go see this thing i need to wake up the kids and that's when we get the the kids all yeah. lying weird it's better than goofy golf i don't know what goofy golf is but it sounds fun i imagine it's the local mini golf uh place <laughs> yeah probably my guess um so they you know they, they, they go out and you know she's kind of miserable about it and uh he's trying to share this experience with her and she doesn't really care and I, I, well, I think it's interesting like the, the one bit yeah of... she's she's asking questions but she's also kind of patronizing yeah but the one interesting thing i thought that the, the only real bit of character i think she gets this whole movie actually uh, the wife mm-hmm. ronnie is that 
she tries to kind of like be intimate with him while they're out looking up at the sky and she's kind of like kissing him and it's actually kind of a funny scene because he is just looking at different points and not really paying attention and she's like kissing on his neck and like near his mouth and he almost turns around and it looks like he's he's got he's he's, he's lining up for the kiss but he's actually just slightly off because he's looking right past her and she's still trying to kiss him and he does eventually mm-hmm. kind of smell at her and kiss her but it takes so long but what I thought was interesting to just analyze was just from a character perspective is that for me, this is kind of her last ditch effort. Before she knows how crazy he's getting, it's like, he's so interested in this. I want, it, I want him to not care about this. I want to try and distract him with just being the, the loving wife right now. And Because yeah. um, there's not a lot of romance between them. It doesn't feel like this is the only time in the whole movie where it feels like, oh yeah, there's, there's a spark of romance or there once was and she's trying to reignite it because he's, he's losing interest kind of thing yeah i mean the the kids are probably passed out in the car mm-hmm. and like she's trying to reminisce old times when they used to go to places to make out <laughs> in the evening and look at the stars and he's just like he yeah he could not be less interested <laughs> yeah what was that honey <laughs> yes yeah sure we can get a puppy um no, so I, I like that, and obviously, and I, I'm going to stick to his plot rather than cu- jump back to the others because I feel like it's just easier to stick with the one kind of through line. Um, is he like obviously starts to kind of draw this shape? But he sees the the pillow sitting just up the right way, and it looks kind of like a mountain, and he keeps seeing this, and you know, it turns mm-hmm. out that the, the the sun, Jillian's son, is drawing this as well, and you feel like even though there's nothing romantic between them, and more, there'll be talk about a moment later, but uh that they've shared this experience so it's almost like he connects more to her than his wife like you know they, 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 mm-hmm. so the, the, so him and her and a bunch of other people who saw the, the ufos have all shown up to this, this the next night hoping they're going to see something else and they don't they see some helicopters and that's it but and you know we see him like build the shape out of various things like you were talking about the dinner scene that's you know one of the big earlier ones where he's getting these mashed potato out of the bowl and he ends up just he keeps taking more and then eventually starts to try and form it into the mountain shape and mm-hmm. everyone's just kind of staring at him and he's and yeah you've got that moment where his son is like a tear down his eye and he's like oh well this comes after the like final straw for or just about the final straw for terry gar's character the first mm-hmm. wife because they go to the this, first wife uh... <laughs> huh you said the first wife no, his wife. Oh, his wife. So I was like, the first wife? What was the second wife? What did that happen? No, 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 his wife. But, um, yeah, because <clears throat> right before that scene, they go to some kind of conference or whatever where oh, everybody right. is gathered who say that they've all seen. Yeah. Well, we should and, talk, actually, and she's there to support him. We should go further back because what inspires that, of course, because I was I was sticking with him, but we should probably mention that Jillian's son is actually abducted <laughs> by aliens. Um, yes. Because that, that's what actually leads to this conference where they go and talk to this, uh, these, you know, politicians or whoever whoever it is uh, yeah i think it's politician i think the military's there yeah it's a bit of a mix and yeah and obviously this is one of the big like classic scenes from this movie where all the lights start hitting the house and like this very blinding and the sun's like mm-hmm. try like it, 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 she actually shuts all the windows she shuts everything and the sun's going out the cat flap <laughs> yeah this is a uh, cat owner it's a dog door <laughs> it's a dog door <laughs> yeah it's a dog door well you get cat flaps still our thing what's the difference i've never heard of that you've never heard of a cat flap nope they're cat- doggy doors cat flaps are a thing god damn it 
<laughs> it sounds Scottish to me. No, Kath, I've heard this in movies and everything. People in the comments, please help help a, a Scottish podcaster out and confirm that cat flap is a term that is used by people. Mm. No, I don't think so. It's I think thing. you made it up. <laughs> do, 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 I mean, do, you can definitely get cat doors, but that's for a dog. Cat flap. Do you know what this is, Tara? This is a failure to communicate. That's what this is. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> um, just watch. By the end of this podcast, we're going to overcome this and we're going to communicate in harmony. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Are we going to communicate with a, a jazz section? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have a guitar anymore. I, I, I don't, flashlights. I don't grab it out. <laughs> We're just gonna uh, jam. It's good jam. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll say a song without lyrics. Mm. Jam session. Uh huh. Uh-huh. We'll see what the tone of the music is. That's how we'll know. <laughs> so we'll know if we're good or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if, if you hit me with Slipknot, I think something might be wrong. Um, anyway, this is like the one scene in the film where it's like a horror film. Oh sure, yeah, it is. It's uh very intense. Which is why it's memorable, I think. Yeah, because because one of the the one of the things that they put in a lot of the covers, if they're not using the poster, uh, sometimes now is the, is the boy standing at the door, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the light. Um, they they kind of like homage it in Stranger Things season two. It's a very very iconic moment in the film. Um, right, the keyhole with the light coming through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. Um, but this is what inspires us. So her son's legitimately gone and missing. And she believes it's aliens. Of course, everyone's laughing at her. Um, well, not everyone, but like these people at this meeting are laughing at her and saying, no, no, no. We'd all like to believe in time travel and Santa Claus, but it's just not a thing. Um, and the sad part is, is that we actually know there is like a secret sect of scientists who are actually exploring this and looking at it and, you know. I think the, the sad part here is that his wife is with him to support him. Like, I'm going to go to this with you. <clears throat> but like... <laughs> During the conference, someone who was there and saw the alien ship with him stands up and says, I saw Bigfoot once. And it totally, like, you know, delegitimizes everything that he's been trying to do because, Mm. okay, well, this guy's a kook, but he's right about the alien part. (laughs) If you compare this to the whole uh, artist analogy, um, you could argue that this is like, Bigfoot guy's kind of like that douchebag who always says he's a writer but never actually writes anything. So it kind of delegitimizes anyone who actually says they want to have a career in writing kind of thing. Right. Okay. I'll just just go with it because you brought up the Bigfoot dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it just kind of sucks, you know, because he's he's really working hard to get his wife on his side and she's really putting in the effort because... You know, she thinks he's crazy, but she loves him, so she's going with him. Yeah. And then something like that happens, and she can't she can't help but laugh. Like, but, okay, what, like we're done with this now, right? Like, clearly th- this guy's crazy. What I think is also interesting about this is that if we're going back to that theme of communication, is that this is not even get a language barrier. This is literally refusing to communicate, even though they're all speaking the same language. This is willingness to not be on the same page. Um. And it's a divide, and I'm 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 honestly not bringing this up to annoy you. Like whenever I, when I actually start talking about communication in the movie, I'm not doing it to annoy you. I'm actually, in the I same really did my best to not look annoyed. In the same way that I, I <laughs> apparently I failed. Yes, in the same way that I applied the the Bigfoot guy to the artist analogy, I need to talk about 
you know the communication aspect of this and i'm going to keep doing that so just brace yourself and i'm not doing it to be a dick okay i when, you don't have to say it every time i don't need it i don't need a disclaimer if you're going to talk about communication clearly that's what this movie's about <laughs> see there's a tone there's a tone there god damn it let's just get through this freaking review already it's late <laughs> don't have to bleep that one <laughs> thank you so considerate um, and that's sounded more sarcastic than i intended i actually meant that to be kind of genuine but it's okay um, communication error i com- got it communication <laughs> see you're, you're getting it you can do it um so we have the mashed potato yeah. scene and the son's crying because he's he's cr- cr- clearly snapped and he's making a mountain of mashed potato and he's got got it all over his hands. He looks genuinely kind of unhinged, and he, you know, he does apologize and he says whatever. And he even you know, he forms one at a clay on his little train track as well, at one point as well. That kind of comes next, and he does kind of like try to acknowledge that he has gone off the deep end a little bit at this point in the movie. But of course, he doesn't take too long for him to be inspired again and go further down. Well, there's a breakthrough, yeah. There's a breakthrough breakthrough when the top of his mountain falls off and he sees it with a flat top. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is actually, this is more up what I'm seeing in my head. This is actually closer this to it. This is the shape I've been trying to get. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's there. It's not been happening. And this is when we get the, more or less, the big wonderful scene where he starts ripping out the plants in the garden and just casually throwing them into the kitchen window. Uh, <laughs> genuine crazy man behavior. Uh, he steals the chicken fence from the neighbor uh, mm-hmm. and says, I'll pay you back for it, don't worry. Doesn't change the fact that our chickens are all running around now. <laughs> yeah, I know, all those poor little ducks. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, he he's... Because at this point, you're not really sure what he's doing. Like, Why is he throwing things in the kitchen? This is weird. Like, what's the, like... Yeah, but he's got so much passion. And he's just like, it's okay, I'll pay you for the wire. Like, yeah. it's going to be worth it. Like. Yeah. Once you see the finished product, you're going to be like, okay, I understand. This yeah. is why you needed to do it. Because he still has that obsession in his head. Like, this is all going to pay off. This is all going to go towards something that everyone is going to understand. Appreciate, yeah. I think, is an even better way to go with it. Because uh, the, the idea that, you know, a, an unfinished project, an unfinished script, and you can see it in your head, but it's not done yet, so no one really gets what you're doing. I think as a filmmaker especially, I think there's a lot of things where... You can see, you can pitch your idea to someone, and they may just not understand the tone you're going to go for or how it's going to work when it all clicks together. But you, you can see it as a film. You can see it in your head as a director. You're like, no, I know how I'm going to make this work with that. It's going, it's going to have this payoff, and it's going to, it's going to be an emotional ending. It's going to, you're going to be weeping in the final scenes, and even though you can't necessarily imagine it right now, and everyone just thinks you're crazy and keeps telling you, no, no, that'll never work. You can't do that. Blah 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 blah. Um, so he, we find out, obviously, that he's eventually just building a giant version of Devil's Tower out of mud and various other things in his, in his house. Yeah. But uh, this is... And a... it's a nice... Um, it's a nice callback because you see that he works on model trains mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, you see, like, that is in... There's, like, a room where he does that. He He's already into that kind of sculpting and cre- that's his creative outlet and his... Uh, his interpretation of this image in his head has to be done in 3D, which is important to the plot later. 
Oh sure, and actually, uh, does this mean that like Gordon on Big Little Lies might actually be a better person than we thought, and Renata might have went off the deep end a little bit with her reaction? No. <laughs> Gordon's a turd of human being. Yes. I was just wanting to crack a joke because he also did model trains, okay? <laughs> that was the extent of that. Um, no, he, he, you know, this is a scene where the wife, uh, where, where Ronnie decides to leave and like grabs the kids and just goes, and he, you know, he does try and kind of convince her to stay he's like no please wait and he jumps on the car and everything which also again just makes him look more crazy like everything he's doing is making him look mm-hmm. more like he's, he's going off the deep end and you know he he just kind of stands up after they've driven off and like sort of like closes his his uh bathrobe and just kind of like hmm and just sort of walks back home with his, 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 his <laughs> and then he crawls in through like the kitchen window instead of a door like a normal human <laughs> he throws in one more plant uh, with dirt, you know, because all, all the plants have like you know proper clumps of dirt at the bottom from from the roots, um, yeah. and he just jumps in after it as, as you do, just casually in, in the window. It, you know, he he's building this, and of course, it's what after he's done this where there's a thing on TV because the other plot we've heard that the other scientists have figured out that all this stuff's going to go down at Devil's Tower, and they want to like evacuate the entire area, the entire like big square radius of the place, and. So there's this like you know toxic leak they're they've made up which is going on TV and it's you know but this is what shows Roy and the others that have seen the UFOs and they're having this obsession. This is where they see Devil's Tower and go, that's where I need to go. That's where that's the place mm-hmm. I need to be. Uh, so the movie kind of becomes this like journey, this trip for him as he's trying to get there and they're trying to evacuate like the surrounding towns when he's getting there. So he's having to like fight against. This is where we get Carl Wells as a soldier. He runs into Jillian who's also on her way here. Um. And they end up teaming up and, you know, they drive across country, you know, off-road and everything, try to get in. And, of course, they're picked up fairly quickly by soldiers and scientists who are like, wait, what are you guys doing in here? You know, maybe here. What's going on? Um, how dare you? Yeah. You see a ton of uh, dead animals on the road, on the side of the road, while yeah. they're driving. Which is interesting that they uh, actually, to, to try and sell this as much as they did, they either just straight up went and killed a bunch of animals or did release something that was somewhat toxic for a brief time just to sell the lie which is kind right. of well, dark the, the animals definitely look dead but they say later on that they used a sleeping chemical okay so just asleep that's what you said to me yeah but they looked clearly dead <laughs> Uh, like those sheep that were on the side of the road looked pretty frail. Yeah, we see horses, we see cows. Um, I, I feel like Tara's trying to be hopeful because she's vegan, but ultimately, they're dead, Jim. <laughs> Sorry, she's dead, Jim. <laughs> I can't do a Scotty voice because Scotty's not got a real Scottish accent. <laughs> it's a really fake thing. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> she can't take it, Captain. See. Yeah, so it's the same gas that they use later on, and they say that it's just a sleeping agent. They'll sleep for like six hours and wake up with a bad headache, and they say it's the same thing we used on the livestock. Yeah. All right, so this is where we kind of get into the last chunk of the movie, uh, and obviously we're not talking about the scientist stuff. We'll kind of go back and do that in a second, but uh, where he's interviewed by the two, you know, the two main guys we've been following the um the, the the translator who's the the the, the map guy and then also uh, the french dude who's been kind of the, the head of the whole thing the head of the operation and 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you said about the opening scene where it's showing you that it's not just Americans, I think is important because it is kind of like the whole idea of everyone overcoming the language barriers only works if you have different languages. If it was just Americans, that wouldn't be a, a thing. If anything, I would critique that later on when we see people get into the ship, like they all have American flags on their shoulder. I'm like, what? There's no people been sent in from anywhere else? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah oh, well it's definitely an, an american army that is out there too well it's, well, it's in the u.s this is devil's tower it'd be kind of weird if there was like here's the french battalion here's the <laughs> right and i'm sure all the all the um people in the jumpsuits are american because they're part of the military yeah yeah they're, they're all volunteers and of course roy gets to go too because he's obsessed and is offered a chance um, and obviously, I think obviously that represents the. Depl- and he's still American. Yeah, <laughs> it represents that plunge that he's taken and the risk that he's taken by pursuing this career. I, mean, I guess because if you look at the analogy, because it, it it does look bad when you look at the movie at face value, where he just kind of like stops caring about his family, his family leave him, and then he cares so little that he just cares about his passion that he goes to Devil's Tower uh, and goes off. But not only that, he kisses Jillian. This is the one thing I, I genuinely dislike in the movie. I don't like the kiss with Jillian before he goes down. Uh, I don't. I I don't get the point. Don't mind it. I I I really don't. Like I know I should mind it because it seems more like they may have like a work husband work wife kind of relationship, but I don't think so. I think it's. I think it is past that. I think they 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 show you his family that he's not, you know, that that has abandoned him because of his pursuit, but he in a way with her and her son even though she's wearing like a wedding ring, which I don't know if it's a mistake or not, uh, is uh, like they've become like a family. Like you're so, you are sort of watching them as a family go on this journey together. Okay. I, I just, I guess I like the fact that it wasn't romantic and I know where there's this kiss moment. Like I like the idea that. I don't know. Like they really go on like this uh, pursuit of passion that I think, I think it's justified more so yeah. than we've seen in other films. That's fair. But, like, so what I was getting at is, though, is that, yeah, if you look at it at face value, that's how it comes off. But ultimately, if you look at the film as an analogy, it's not so much that he literally has a family. It's that this is the idea of, like, what he's... Because if you take the ending as him taking taking that leap of faith where I want to pursue this passion I have, and this is the choice mm-hmm. I'm making to pursue, in this case, a career in filmmaking, if we're comparing it to Spielberg. I th- so, yeah, yeah, I think he's already right. abandoned the fact that his family is left him. No, 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 uh, as Spielberg to pursue filmmaking like no this is my passion and the family isn't literally a family that he had it's just the idea of what he's supposed to have it's, it's the, the idea at the end of the film is just him making the choice to start this journey and everything before it is just the thought process of like you know this is what I could or could not have if I do this kind of thing okay um so and obviously in the film he did have a family and he did lose that but I'm, I'm saying if you look at the film as an analogy uh and what the thought process is behind it i think the idea why you shouldn't necessarily care that he has kind of just abandoned this family the way that he has is because it's he's abandoning the idea of having a family uh as opposed to abandoning right, a literal family if you want for his for for people who really are like creative and artists like they can't have the normal life that you're they're supposed to have with the family is just not going to work out and he's accepted that like this is okay like so long as the end is worth it then he doesn't need to have the family yeah that, that said though i think it's uh 
I don't think it's actually accurate. I would disagree that this is actually completely true. But I, well, I think I mean he does have a family eventually. Yeah. But I, I think the <laughs> point. Dark. But I think the point is, is that this is the fear. This is like the fear at the start of the journey where you think you can't, and he has to accept that it might not happen because he makes this choice. The fact that it in real life did eventually happen proves that no, it can still happen. You don't have to necessarily rule it out. But the idea that to yeah, make he's that still leap, a pretty young man at this early in his career. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but the point I'm making is that he in order to commit himself to this this path this this job this art form that he wants to do he has to for himself had to admit to himself that he's accepting that it's okay if i don't have those other things because this is mm-hmm. what i care about um and it's this very much personal choice and it, because it is him literally talking about the artist and in this case about himself being a filmmaker it's a very personal thing where this is le- this is legitimately just from his point of view and doesn't necessarily apply to another artist who might think about these same things. It doesn't necessarily apply to any other type of rough choice someone might make. It's, and that's why I always come back to saying this is one of his most personal films because it can apply to other people, sure. It absolutely can. But I think it's very specific. It feels very specific to me about kind of what was going through his head at the time. Um, I think so too. So... Um, but yeah, because at one point, I mean, Roy's even asked, like, uh, are you an artist of some kind? Like, they even ask him that uh, when they're interviewing him. Yeah, um, but he's too obsessed with, like, who everybody is to answer it. Oh, sure, yeah. Because um, uh, I actually, I do I do think that um, uh, the movie is a little bit overlong for me. I, I do think you could shave off some time. Um, and some of it may even be from the ending because there's a we actually spend a lot of time on devil's tower at the end there's, there's a good like 30 plus minutes of the movie takes yeah, place yeah this is the big payoff scene and i agree um i i'd forgotten how much like i'd forgotten i'd forgotten that we got the three ships and then there was a lot of waiting again before the big ship mm-hmm. comes and I, I was feeling the pacing but i was like i thought the movie was almost over there's like another 25 minutes left what the what the how the hell is the 25 minutes between now and him, get, him getting on the ship? What happens in this next yeah, 20 minutes? Yeah, there's a huge spectacle thing at the end. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like trying to chase that beyond Jupiter's Kubrick going mm. on in this scene. Yes. Um, but he's trying that. to outdo the spectacle by adding the music and the light show and uh, and all that. But it's, uh, it, it's still really well done. Um, the only thing I don't really enjoy about the scene, like much like the TV version of the film showed you the inside of the of the ship. Mm. I don't need that much aliens. Sure. I don't know if I need them at all, to be honest, because I don't think they pull it off. Um, I like the first alien. I like the one that's kind of Slenderman esque. I thought that was yeah, a really like cool the effect. One. Um, I thought all the more traditional looking small aliens that came out though, I could have done without them. That felt a bit too cheesy to me the last like et one i don't like it all yeah um, um i like i like the um the overall like idea of like like them going into because obviously the first thing that happens when the big ship comes is that it opens and all the people who have been taken over the years come out so the pilots the, the son mm-hmm. who's obviously only been gone for a small small amount of time relatively speaking but all these people come back and it's like they're not aged it's like they've been in stasis or whatever for forever long although they have like 70 sideburns and if you're paying attention you're looking at some of the different extras you can see that you know one's dressed like a a completely different time period than you know yeah 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 there's some other ones mixed in there to give the impression victorian one and then there's like a a woman just in her nightgown there's a farmer (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it, it's it's a fun like I spy kind of moment where in the film where you're just looking, see what you can catch. Yeah. Um, and I I do really like all that stuff. It kind of pays off the whole planes in the beginning because they're checking off all the pilots who have come back too. Yeah, and the, the beginning. And this entire thing is is legitimately uh, them trying to communicate with the aliens and not quite getting it first, but then figuring it out and you know speeding up the track or the because the, mm-hmm. the guy playing the keyboard, he's literally just playing the tune. Um, and again there's a lot of technical jargon i actually follow the technical jargon here a, bit, a lot better though because I, I did music in high school so i mean i'm not saying i'm good at it but i understand when he's saying go down an octave or you know do four quavers or whatever like, i understand what all that thing all that means more or less um so cool yeah well it's good to know it holds up for people who are into music yeah um i you know it's it the, 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 I'm sure all the air traffic control people were really excited about that scene too. Oh no doubt, I'm sure they all loved it. <laughs> I'm sure they all loved it. But I um, and again it goes back to it being the kind of a universal language music where th- th- this would be true equally no matter like who. The f- the fact that I le- I learned music like 25 years, 30 years after this movie came out, and all the terms are still the same, and uh, you know nothing's yeah. changed. Like it's still what it is. And um, we know that music is, uh, like. It, it is a way of communicating emotion, mm. um, especially with John Williams behind it. <laughs> and because uh, Spielberg especially has like has used music, the swelling of the music to get the emotions out of a scene. And a lot, it, a lot of times he gets criticized for it because it feels forced. But I don't think that's deserved. I think if it happens, then it's successful. <laughs> if you're moved because of music, then it's done correctly. Yeah, I have no problem. Like people who say music manipulates you, the entire film is manipulating you. Art, art is, is a yeah. is a thing. Why is that an issue? <laughs> the whole point is that it's manipulating you to get get certain emotions. That's the point of the whole thing. Um, right. That's okay. Yeah. And that's not to say that I don't like a movie that chooses not to have music and wants that eerie silence the whole time because that's also manipulating me. It's also right. giving me it, a feeling. It, it's used in this film too when he's first in the, in the truck looking at the map, that's just and quiet, yeah. all of a sudden all the crickets that you've been hearing just disappear, and you're like you notice it like something's wrong <laughs> yeah um it's, it's a choice sometimes some you know, depending on what mood you want maybe you want music maybe you don't maybe you want something that's a bit more just in the background and isn't noticeable maybe you want something that is more bombastic and really like takes front and center stage uh all of these options are completely valid and all of them work for whatever you're doing uh mm-hmm. so uh, no i i so here's a the question then what is your favorite john williams score superman that's an excellent choice. That's also my favorite. It's easy. <laughs> it's all my favorite. I, I feel like I usually have to argue with people because they always go with Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, Star Wars is pretty great. Um, oh, it is. I, I can't fault about it. that Superman theme. <laughs> a Superman theme. There's so many good themes in that 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 score. I love Jurassic Park as well. Um, mm-hmm. score. Indiana Jones too. Of course, of course. Um, but um, yeah, I don't think anything beats the Superman theme. It's my favorite. <laughs> Yes, there's a reason why Tara was on this show, uh, <laughs> and and thousands more were turned away. Um, <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> I did not know I was the best. Maybe I should uh, cool it on the uh, criticism. <laughs> mm, mm. Yes, it was let on the show for good taste. Um, admittedly, if I had known I was going to get so much cheek, <laughs> maybe I would have reconsidered my options. I'll tone things down. <laughs> 
Ah, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Oh, mighty movie critic. <laughs> Teach me. <laughs> all right, all right. Don't, don't, don't patronize me. All right. So, no, like, the, the ending, like, it does drag on a little bit, and I felt it on this viewing. Um, and... You know, it's a minor complaint, but it does it does kind of stick there a little bit, and I I think uh, it just goes into my the movie having a little bit of pacing problems here or there for me uh, is one of the things that sticks out. But I I do I do like the the overall message of the film, and I love that there is these these two or three really big themes that the film's playing with that really really work. I just don't think it's as tight or as smooth as Spielberg's best stuff. You know, where I don't know. I think I mean I think you're right about the length of it i think it could use another trim and if you wanted to just do it from from roy's journey you could cut out quite a bit of it like you don't really need all the stuff where like the government is setting up the Mm -hmm. um the train explosion or the chemical leak because then you can follow along with him, like, yeah, oh, if anything, is he if being anything, manipulated, or is it really? There yeah, really is an accident. Exactly. If anything, it would enhance some of that stuff a bit because we wouldn't know, like, we because we know. Right. Although we, I do still find myself when I watch it, like, going, "Wait, is it real?" No, I know it's fake because it it is really well done, and so hmm. you have to like remind yourself that I did see that scene yeah, before. I, I I almost would cut a, a lot of the signs, even though I enjoy a lot of those scenes for what they are. I think yeah, it, they're great actors. They're yeah. uh, it's a great dialogue, and it is part of the fun. Like, you know, figuring out oh, it's a map. Like these are coordinates. Yeah, and and, and it does certainly add a lot to the theme of communication. So, funnily enough, I still don't think it would be there, of course, for the rest of it. But it wouldn't be as pronounced if if all the scientist mm-hmm. stuff was cut out. I, I think you do need the scene at the start. I think you need the scene at the start with the planes to set up some some stuff and just set up the idea that these are people who are going to be working on it and then it'd be kind of a nice thing when you come back at the end and we're, we're at devil's tower and we're like oh these are the guys from the start of the movie so and it would mm-hmm. all kind of come back but obviously we have these scenes of them going to india of them uh figuring out the coordinates and you know moving the big globe around and whatever else and all that stuff is enjoyable but i may i would almost be interested to see a version that kind of trims that and i almost think as well one of the things you can maybe trim is uh I don't know if I needed as much of them climbing the mountain to get there. Like, you know, like, I don't know if I need to see how physically hard that journey was. Like, you know. We, we, yeah, I mean, I don't mind it so much. It kind of reminded me of like a journey to the center of the earth <laughs> scene. <laughs> um, like, there is a part where, you know, he's in peril and he's falling and she's reaching out to him. And it's yeah. just like, just in the nick of time, they, they, she gets him out and he believes in himself again and then they're there and it's just kind of relaxed yeah i just i don't know like it was a point where like they're, they're dodging from helicopters seeing them and they're hiding and stuff and i'm like okay that's, i mean this is fine but i don't know if it's necessarily like super important to like what the film's doing overall this this sort of section like you know the the actual like they when they're first getting into the town and they're like sort of seeing all the dead things and like, again maybe that would even be benefit from not knowing if if you know if, if it was real or not the 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 toxic leak of because it's not a gas leak it's like it's odorless it's colorless it's, it's, it's like a chemical yeah, yeah chemical leak or something so, something magical that you've never heard of we're just made up um yeah they said well we should do anthrax no because there's always going to be someone who thinks he's immune <laughs> <laughs> gotta be something bigger yeah yeah uh so no like uh, so yeah i have quibbles like i, ha- I have uh some things here or there that 
make it not like because if you know because someday we're going to talk about et someday we're going to talk about jurassic park someday we're going to talk about some of these other films and um Jurassic Park, fell enough, was the first movie I ever saw in a theater. So it has a special place in my heart uh, just because, yeah. you know, that. I mean, Jurassic Park is, like, the way my father talks about, like, Star Wars and Alien. Mm-hmm. Going to see that for the first time. That's what Jurassic Park was for me. Yeah. That was a movie that made me go, oh, I didn't know movies could do this. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, though. I feel like most of my favorite movies from my childhood and, like, the 90s, I, th- I feel like most of them though were movies that I couldn't go see. like there were movies that I, I had in VHS from TV like it was Terminator and things like that you know which we've talked about yeah. before so um like and it kind of sucks I feel like so, so many things that I loved growing up that they eventually had sequels when I was old enough and I was like oh I get to go to the theater and I remember going to see Superman Returns and hearing that main theme in the theater as the opening titles were flying past me and then that movie is just this boring sludge of a film no. Uh, Terminator. I'm excited to hear that main theme. Terminator Three. What does it do? It's in these closing credits and nowhere else in the entire film, and the movie is just kind of oh, bland. Really? Yeah. We're watching that soon too. That's that's that. Is that on next week? I haven't seen it since the theater. I think that's next week's movie. I think Terminator. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you for it sure is, at the yeah. end. But I think it's next week. Um, so yeah, I've not seen. I, I saw it a couple of times. I think I convinced myself I liked it because I was just young enough that I still did that with some movies. Uh, yeah well she is pretty hot <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i was never it was, it was never about christina loken uh, we'll talk about this more next week but it was never i don't think it was ever about her i just i had to like terminator 3 because i love one and two so much i had to like it like that first teaser trailer where the uh, warner brothers logo like shattered and then it reformulated t1000 and the the new like brass version of the main theme played i was so hyped i was so pumped for terminator 3 and it's just kind of like eh exists yeah i mean i i felt the same way about the lost world the teaser trailer that came out during the super bowl which is just a foot coming down Mm -hmm. and then the puddle doing the The guitar string thing and um it was just like the lost world showing up through the ripples and you're like oh my god i'm so pumped and i read the book which is not something i ever did as a kid but i read that and I still came out of that movie going kind of disappointed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that girl through gymnastics. <laughs> not a favorite franchise of mine? Oh, I can't wait till I can finally see an alien movie in the theaters. Prometheus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait till I finally see a Predator movie in the theaters. Oh, Predators. Eh. <laughs> no, I don't like that movie at all. Yeah. Remember the teaser trailer for that? And it was just like. Oh, it was all. It was like tons with of like lasers. All of the, the targets, yeah. all of the three little targets, and it's like 100 predators. You're like, oh my God, there's going to be so many predators. And it's like three. Yeah, that, that, that scene <laughs> is not even. It's, it totally it, doesn't sell the same movie. Yeah, but it's, it's not even like there's that scene in the movie with, with less lasers. That scene just isn't in the movie at all. Like, there's nothing no. like that in the movie. No. Yeah. Um, so what I'm saying is, is every every like movie or franchise that I loved as a kid, where there's like you know two or three great movies in the franchise, and I grew up loving them, and I was so excited to finally get to see one in the theater. Every single one has been disappointed. I can't think of one that wasn't. <laughs> it's like I finally get to see a movie. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't think of any more. Those are ones like Die Hard. I mean, Die Hard Four wasn't terrible actually. Die Hard Four is okay. Um, I, I, I like know. three. Yeah, I like three to oh three's better. Three's much better, but four was the first one I got to see in theater. And it was it was it was okay. You know, five mm, on the I other think hand. I saw three before I saw any of the other ones. That was the one with Jeremy Irons, right? Yeah, that was the Simon Says one. Yeah, yeah. That was the first Die Hard movie I'd ever seen. Yeah. Hans Gruber was Simon's bro. <laughs> if you not heard the guy's name, so different accent, but okay. Die Hard. What? Don't they have different accents? 
Well, Hans Gruber is supposed to be German. German. Yeah. Mr. Takagi. <laughs> I have one just like it. I can't do it. I can't do the voice. But I love, I love Alan Rickman in that movie. Alan Rickman is so good by heart. He's so evil. He's great. He's great. It's a nice suit. Be ashamed to ruin it. <laughs> Gotta make fish for your toes. Anyway. Um, so, no. Um, where was that? So... We're talking about the scientist stuff and the ending and and all that jazz. Uh, which we pretty much did actually. I, I think, the movie's really good. I think it has been surpassed, and I think it is kind of like in a shadow even from its time period because it came out the same year as Star Wars. Two years later, Alien came out, and like this is going to sound bold coming from me, but I do also like Star Wars more than Close Encounters, and I definitely like Alien both more than both of those. So. You know, it is kind of in its own little shadow here where it's like, does he, even Spielberg himself went on to do better sci-fi movies kind of thing. So Yeah, I still, I don't know, I still really love this one. I still get that, that Spielberg wonder and I like that aliens in this movie are like benevolent because after this we don't really get that anymore with the exception of E.T., another Spielberg movie. They were pretty you know, and benevolent in Arrival. <laughs> I guess, I mean, that's true. And In Contact, which in I contact. also think is a Close Encounters remake way. And here, you don't get to see the aliens. Here's uh, a, spoiler. Here, here's a question. Here's a, here's a question. Has there been any movies where the aliens are benevolent that is not either considered a Close Encounters like successor or an E.T. successor? <laughs> are they always like a ripoff or like a spiritual kind of thing to the one of those? Well, I mean, it's the first Contact film, right? Yeah. I guess first Contact. <laughs> Although they're not, that's a Borg, so no. Yeah. There is first contact in the movie, but it's not with the Borg. Yeah, yeah, first contact. It's with the Vulcans, yeah. I remember. I've seen first contact. It's a good movie. That's a good movie. That's a good movie. Ooh, it's time travel. We should do that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but I think the Star Trek movies are off limits because the ongoing Star Trek series of reviews that me and Connor are doing kind of has dibs on it. I'm sorry. Maybe maybe one day we'll redo all the movies. Like Tara wants to do Star Trek movies, so we have to do Star Trek again. Eventually we're gonna run out of sci-fi movies. <laughs> I don't think we will. We keep adding more to the list. Uh yes. we legitimately have a list of like hundreds. So I think we're gonna be fine. I think we're gonna be fine. Um So no, I like the performances are good. I think the direction the direction like I would, I would trim things out, and I would definitely smoothen it a little bit. But the the key scenes that are very memorable are memorable because they're exceptionally directed. You know, the scene where the boys abducted, yeah. uh, the scene in the car, the, the most of the ending. I don't think the ending drags on too much. There's too much stuff sort of in between the the big moments, but the big moments are really good. When that ship, that that big mothership shows up, though, oh, yeah. it is a big moment. Hey, did it remind you a little bit of a uh, dark city? Because it looked like it was like a city in the middle of it. Yeah, it looked like a city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was getting that And light. even when it's like in the center of it, it looks like there's more city in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I was getting those vibes. Uh, that's I was a... thinking that. I was also thinking Encounter at Farpoint. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. I've seen that Star Trek Next Generation episode. You're quite right. Yeah. I thought it looked a lot like that. Oh, that's fair. I am. Um... The new television show, Star Trek the Next Generation pilot. <laughs> oh, dear. I've not had my reference on yet. We've done like four Star Trek references. I know. Time's running out. I need you've to, done that too. I, I, need to, I need to squeeze in a, a reference to a certain hit television show. 
Hey, bef- no vampires in it. Before it's done. How can I do this? There's not a lot of alien stuff in, in that show. Um, there's like one episode in season five of the hit television show Buffer the Vampire Slayer where the villain's technically an alien but, is, but it was weird at the time because it was like well we're doing an alien that's weird in this show because everything's always been mystical and like demons or magic or or whatever yeah I always think it's strange because that was kind of the problem with uh, well one of the problems with the crystal skull is that okay so there's aliens and there's God in this universe <laughs> How do they both coexist? That, I mean, that was definitely not my problem with Crystal Skull, but yeah, I can see it what you're saying. It was a, a yeah. problem that came up, um, I think. Uh, my problem with Crystal Skull is the fact that Indiana Jones doesn't ever actually do anything. He just kind of reacts to things over and over again and never really makes a choice. A bit this another thing. Plus Shia yeah. LaBeouf and swinging and all sorts. <laughs> with the monkeys? Yes. Yeah, not good. All, all that stuff. Um, um, well, we're getting another one. I know. Maybe it'll be better. Apparently, Spielberg, although he directed the film, this was most. He he claims that Crystal Skull was mostly a George Lucas project. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Which is why he wants to make another one to redeem himself. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And Lucas apparently will not be involved. I don't know. Spe- speaking of uh, word on the street, Spielberg and Lucas appear. Are you aware of a, a bet that happened in 1977? Uh, between Spielberg and Lucas? Yes, in relation to this movie. Uh, well, they both made space movies this year. They did, but no, I can't remember what they bet exactly, but it was basically, they were both convinced that their movies weren't good, and they bet each other that they're, that they're, so, so Steven Spielberg bet that Star Wars would do better than Close Encounters and vice versa. And I can't remember what the what the... Like what? Who? The, what the winner got? You know, I think it was like part of the, like their their paycheck or something like that. Um, and Spielberg obviously won that bet because Star Wars is <laughs> Star <huge>. Wars. <laughs> didn't didn't Spielberg like help Lucas with Star Wars also? I, I believe, yeah, I believe this because they're all kind of like him and like Scorsese and Coppola and stuff were all like really close. Yeah, I love how you can see the comparison between Spielberg and Lucas, but you look at those other directors and go, yeah, none of those were making space movies. (laughs) They weren't doing... No, they were making like Taxi Driver, which is a great movie, but like... Uh, Yeah, Taxi Driver's great. Apocalypse Now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speak about movies where you should never watch the extended cuts. Apocalypse Now, like the theatrical cut's really good and every other version just drags the pace every other version just drags the pace out so much uh the redux cut no don't do it watch the theatrical one i i don't love i love scenes of apocalypse now but i actually don't love the movie and i That's don't fair. like martin Jean in it like at all and i really really don't like um marlon brando <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. i think he's terrible in the movie like He's just this obese guy at the end of the film talking nonsense. Like, how are you obese and you've been living in like the jungle off of rice for <laughs> like the last ten years? It doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Anyway. Yes. Anyway. Um, yes. Apparently, he just showed up and like didn't have any of his lines learned, and he just improvised the whole time. Well, that sounds like Mullen Brando. And Coppola was just like, "Screw it!" Like. 
we've had so many production problems with this movie. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason do why. It. Like, I've been told I have to have you in the film, so just do whatever you want to do. We'll try to make it work. There's a reason why the making of documentary that I think was like award winning on its own is called Heart of Darkness. <laughs> Because I've the, actually never seen it. But neither have I. Neither have I. But the, I've uh, heard of it. The production apparently is a night was a nightmare, um, which is insane. But I am. Um, it's funny we were joking about both having the same favorite John Williams score earlier. But just uh, so I don't agree with you on Apocalypse Now, because uh, I, I at least it's been honest since I watched it, admittedly. But um, uh, there's there's oddly a few movies from this era that we actually agree on, either in a positive way or a negative way. Um, because mm-hmm. the subject of Annie Hall came up once, and uh, T- Tara thought she was going to offend me. me. She, 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 she was basically bracing me, thinking she was going to like offend my like film there, like mind. She's like, oh, I have to say, I don't really like Woody Allen and Annie Hall. I, I just don't yeah, get it. I don't get it. I don't get the why people are so drawn to his films. Little did she know that she was voicing my exact sentiment. <laughs> and I don't get Annie Hall either. I, I was bored to tears watching Annie Hall. Uh, the only the only other Woody Allen film I saw was the one that Larry David was in. I saw that in theaters because Larry David was in it, and I was equally bored uh, throughout the whole thing. Woody Allen is just not for me. I don't get it. Don't think I've seen it. Uh, I saw Midnight in Paris because it had great reviews, mm-hmm. and I don't think I knew it was a Woody Allen movie going in. Um, but I knew when I left. I'm like, <laughs> no, didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I went to see the. I think it was called Whatever Works. I think was the name of the liar david one and i went to see it hoping there was basically it's going to be curvy enthusiasm the movie that's what i was hoping for <laughs> i watched yeah it's not is it no it's not i saw uh i think blue jasmine was the last woody allen movie i saw and i watched it because Kate blindett was nominated for best actress and she was great in it but uh it's not for me yeah yeah woody allen no i mean i don't have the same like like passion for the hatred like i do with say tim burton but you know that's what it is mm. all right okay <laughs> do you have i anything? mean i haven't seen a movie from his that i've liked in a long long time but i do like edward a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he kind of gets a pass and i you know i was a kid when those batman movies were coming out and they did you know mean a lot when i was growing up <laughs> i will agree that they don't hold up oh they don't but i still like them you know they're batman returns was a really big part of my childhood <laughs> hey i watched those movies a lot as a kid um <laughs> but it was, it was this weird thing where i got to you know it was a certain age where i stopped watching like those movies in superman because i was like oh i'm, I'm too old for childish shit like that now i'm i'm, I'm all mature because i'm like 10 <laughs> um, i'm an artist yes um <laughs> but then there was this thing so you know i started getting into other things and then batman begins came out when i was 16 and it freaking blew me away i loved that movie and went hey i think i actually really like superheroes i'm going to go back and check out all the you know the stuff that i liked as a kid and you know i, I watched batman the animated series again after liking that as a kid i watched superman movies which i really like um i mean obviously not all of them because four is like four but um but batman by tim burton uh knowing that at this point that i just didn't like tim burton because i never liked edward scissorhands as a kid i never liked um beetlejuice uh even trying some of them again when i was a bit older did not like them but like batman i just like it's a it's a two pronged thing because one I just don't really like Tim Burton and two there's a lot of things about his his Batman adaptation if you will that rubbed me the wrong way as a Batman fan. <laughs> so I never liked Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. 
Bizarrely though, because he's always like crazy. Oh, he is. He's, he's you know, if you, if you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. Like you know, that's yeah, that's his. It's such a strange interpretation. Oh. Hey, hey, Foxy. Um, but the weird thing about it is that because I saw him so much as a kid, I still have this nostalgia attached to when they're referenced. So when I when I like that line I just said, if you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. When someone says that in a movie and it's a reference, I'm like, ah, oh, that's fun. Even though I don't like the movie. Right, right. So yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I love. I mean, I, I do love all the Mr. Freeze one-liners, even oh, though yeah. it's such a bad movie. Yes, I'm just going to put this out here. All right, everybody, chill. M- Mr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze said the phrase, Vinta is coming, long before Game of Thrones was on the airwaves. I'm just pointing this out. You're right, yeah. Maybe it's just my love of Arnold puns, but... Hey, I, yeah. I, I said this when we reviewed them earlier this year, uh, me and Connor, but I legitimately have more fun watching Batman and Robin now than I do Batman Returns because it's so stupid yeah. and silly that you can laugh at the... You the, just kind of have to, yeah, yeah, just let yourself get into it. Yeah, like I actually kind of got into just just laughed a lot, whereas Batman Returns, I'm just like, oh, Tim Burton, and, oh, penguins eating a fish. <laughs> it was a little bit like he was trying the director was trying to like one up Tim Burton on the camp. Oh sure. Like he he took Tim Burton and was sort of making fun of him I, with it, you yeah, know, and making fun that. of like the superhero genre in general or making it look like a comic book, but like there's nothing I don't know. Uh, there's nothing in the comics about like the back card, but I guess it maybe <laughs> is interpretation of like uh, capitalism who knows <laughs> well that's funny because it is a two-hour toy commercial it's like there's a reason yeah. why they have like f- like different suits in the last part of the film and they have like two vehicles each and all like it's all just designed to sell as many toys as possible that's all it Chicks is dig the car oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man joey pisses me off i actually watched this I, I never knew this as a kid but in the third one when like uh, dick's like saying oh I, w- I want to be like a sidekick i want to be your partner um, is I don't want to call myself though, like uh, Bat Boy, Nightwing, and he kind of shrugs it off, and I'm like, you pricks, because if you don't know this, if you're not a comic book person, uh, Robin Dick Grayson does become a character called Nightwing uh, when he gets older. That's his adult uh, superhero yeah. title. When he's no longer a sidekick. Yes, he's his he's own hero, and he's replaced as Robin by Jason Todd, who is uh, mercifully killed off as quickly as possible with a crowbar, uh, which Aww. is delightful. And who does it joker yeah joker kills him mm. makes sense but then someone puts him in a lazarus pit and he comes back as red hood oh that's who red hood is yeah, so jason todd's still around <sighs> well, we gotta stop this now because i know you can keep going for yeah we, we go forever uh, is there anything else we would like to add about close encounters of the third kind yeah, we should probably rate it I was going to get. I was. Just, I was asking if it was anything before we want to rate it. Clearly, the answer to that question was no. I want to go to bed, Peter. So rate the effing movie. See, I understood it. Therefore, the communication has improved because I, I, I got exactly what you wanted there. Um, so, Tara, what would you rate Close Encounters of the Third Kind out of ten smelly aliens? <laughs> so I I do agree with the criticisms about. Um the length of the film the, the the end does really stretch out and i don't think we need so much stuff with the aliens i think maybe there is a really cool movie if you're just following dreyfus's character but i can't help but love this film uh when i watch it like even when i watch it in theaters uh 
with the extended scenes in it, I was like, man, this movie's long. But I'm, I'm never bored. I do like the characters. I do like the themes. I, I like his journey. Um, I don't really care that he's an asshole with his family, bar, <laughs> or like kind of abandons his family, because I care about his journey and I want to see the answers too. And uh, I'm, I like this movie a lot. <laughs> so I'm giving it a nine. I think it's a Whoa. nine. Whoa. Up to the nine. Uh, I yeah. imagine lots of people will agree with you. Um, this is bizarrely just one for me that I saw a bit later. Um, and because I do have some critiques of it, it doesn't have that special place in my heart for me. It's not one that I hold dear from my childhood. I saw it just a little bit later. And because of that, I just I view it as any other film that I've seen as an adult. And it's really good and I, I actually think the subtext is more interesting than the, t- than the text if that makes sense where the mm. actual events of the movie of him like going and finding the the thing is like it's okay it's actually the subtext behind it that's actually more interesting for me um sure but it has some pretty visuals it has some good music it has uh some of that uh you know that wonder that spielberg likes to do but i do i do yeah. think that wonder comes even better in et and i do think it comes um in jurassic park as well you know a lot of that is the and i think for me as a kid because i like dinosaurs as a kid and because i saw jurassic park in theaters like jurassic park i think is the better movie but even just on a personal level i grew up with that like i saw that at the age of four and i was obsessed with dinosaurs for a while because of it um whereas and i love space i love aliens and stuff like that but um this is definitely on the lower ranks for me when it comes to movies about aliens and movies about uh mm. you know first contact and, and things like that so um with all that said though um it's still really good and has a lot of reason you know something that people should see if you're in a film you should see it because it is kind of a milestone um and i well i think it's like because I, I always see people talk about it being overshadowed by you know the other films that i mentioned you know, alien and star wars and stuff like that and they always are oh, so, so underrated because it's always overshadowed by them i think it's it's overshadowed because it should be overshadowed by them it's perfectly rated and that's not a bad thing it's good but those those are better so i'm going to give this a solid eight out of ten okay excellent pretty consistent with our reviews i think we're usually like a point apart (laughs) that's true uh have we had any that have been like males apart was there any that was like I, I, I want to say uh, there was I think one. We were pretty far apart on altered states. Yeah, I think you gave that like a four or something with that, and I was like, no, look at a seven. <laughs> I yeah, liked it. you're like, come on, it's not a four. Like I've seen four films, but I really didn't like it. Hey, hey, Tara. <laughs> I think I was also really disappointed because in that film, because I remember really enjoying it, and then mm. when I was watching it, I was like, why did I like this so much? <laughs> hey. I've done 330 episodes of Screams After Midnight. I know the difference between a 1, a 2, a 3, and a 4, and a 5. Don't you Don't you worry. <laughs> I am well versed in that. Know, that one scene in the middle with the monkey, like, really knocked it down, like, four points. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, I know what that, that half of the scale is like. I spend a lot of time <laughs> on that side of the scale on Screams After Midnight. Um, we've had a couple of stinkers, though. I mean, hey, also... I grew up watching Mystery Science Theater. That's, that's true. That's true. We... I know what those movies look like, too. Yeah, we we obviously the captive state were really. Uh, was that the the, the well, not including robot vampire from the bonus episode because obviously that was the, the worst one we've done. But uh, was captive state the one where we both unanimously went at the lowest on? It might have been. Yeah, I think I gave it like a two. I think you gave it like a three point five or something. Yeah, I was I was being a little bit more 
uh, objective, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you... we differed on uh, Judge Dredd also. Did we? Okay. That's fair. Um, but yeah, as we said earlier, Terminator 3 is what's uh, coming next week. So uh, talk to the hand if you remember that scene and we will uh, dive into that next week. Are we going to review the deleted scene? Tara, would hey, you... I'm Sergeant Candy. <laughs> if Tara would like to review the deleted scenes, uh, specifically the Sergeant Candy deleted scene, uh, we can also do that, yes. I mean, we can't not talk about it. <laughs> if you want to know what Sergeant Candy's all about, you'll find out next week uh, on, the, on the show. Um, yeah, uh, so hopefully you had fun listening to us talk about Close Encounters. We have some stuff to tell you about um which you know could be interesting <laughs> maybe um so please do please do uh tell us what you think of close encounters in the comments uh like and subscribe all those usual things that help you can of course support us a lot the audio podcast version specifically if you want to rate and review us on like apple podcasts it really helps people find the show and spread it around if you do that um so so make sure you do that because that does help us a lot you can of course help us financially uh tara will tell you all about that you can check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. You could donate as little as a dollar per month. And that gets you cool bonuses. If you enjoy our show, you get bonus episodes of The Ace. Um, and uh, with we've sort of mentioned already. Plus, you get Screams After Midnight bonus episodes, with which Peter has, uh, <laughs> has also brought up. And uh, can you vote, vote at the $5 tier? You can. And nice. if there's a movie you want us to watch, you could submit it into the reactor where we put all those films and when we don't know what to watch next, we can pull from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> I could I could just feel Tara's like communication skills dipping there in the middle How of that. How dare you. <laughs> <laughs> now, I th- I think our communication has 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 reached its its uh its pinnacle here uh towards I think we've been fine. I think we just had to bond uh, we we had to bond a little bit over our dislike of Annie Hall, and we're we're back on the same page. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, no, check out Patreon and all the stuff that's over there, um, and have a look and see what you like. Uh, the last bonus exclusive episode we did, which you can get for the one dollar tier, uh, the last one we did was Time Cop, uh, which you know, and we we that was a two hour episode. <laughs> there was there was some ta- there was some we tangents. There was definitely some tangents, but. You know, time cop. We went like a full thirty minutes about his uh, his one (laughs) split scene. (laughs) We did so glorious. We did. Uh, So you can check out that, and obviously that was I think that was the fourth exclusive. So if you sign up now for one dollar, you get access to four exclusive episodes that have already went up, and you get one per month. So uh, go have a look, see. Um, But yeah, uh, and otherwise, uh, Tara's already came promoted streams after midnight for me. But uh, we can add another couple of recommendations here for other content that we do. Uh, me and Tara do Twilight Zone reviews every week uh, for the classic Twilight Zone show. Uh, we are about tw- I mean, it, the, we record these movies a few weeks in advance, but I think um, at the time we of re- just did the twenty fourth episode of season one. We did, yes, out of thirty six. We're only two thirds of the way through. <laughs> well, we're we're two episodes into disc four on the Blu Ray, just to put it in perspective. Uh, there's five discs, so you know we're getting up there. Season one, the yeah. ending of season one is kind of in sight. <laughs> like i can kind of it is quantify yeah, it a little yeah, bit you're right. it's there um, it's like 36 episodes or something 
yeah so yeah, go check out our twilight zone reviews but you can get the audio versions on fuzz in the zone uh, or of course you can get everything on the youtube page uh, along with these ace video versions and everything else that we do uh so that is us that has been close encounters of the third kind and i know that there was no mystery science theater section this week and hobgoblins is the next one we're doing it is coming it's coming it's coming <laughs> Um, we, I think we're feeling quite confident that we'll be on the next one, right? That Terminator 3 yeah. will be accompanied by Hobgoblins. What a combo. Make it work. We'll make it work. Because uh, I must Mystery Science Theater. I actually want to watch another one. It's been like yeah. three weeks. You know what I did today? <gasps> what did you do today? My lunch break. I bought some. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Of course you did. <laughs> I was like, man, I miss watching Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> well we're going to watch hobgoblins together before next episode and we'll talk about hobgoblins with terminator 3 uh, although that's actually a bad one to do it on because i feel like terminator 3 we're easily going to go two hours even without mystery science theater but <laughs> well excuse me we'll make it work we'll make it i'm work. at the point i've crossed the threshold i can't stop yawning yes poor tower this, this is the effort tower's putting in we're wrapping up the show now don't worry she's going to get to go to bed in a matter of minutes but um everyone everyone so Everyone applaud Tara for, for the effort and the dedication <laughs> to stay up way past her, her bedtime. How dare you? <laughs> what? What, the, what do you mean, how dare I? I'm being honest. This is over. <laughs> I was being genuine. Come on. I was trying to praise my co- I, don't, I never do this with Connor for obvious reasons, so I mean, <laughs> I want to feel nice at the end of a show for a change. I don't need your charity. Especially, okay, look, I feel guilty because I laughed at you at the start of the show, okay? I feel guilty. <laughs> I want to make it right. I want to make it right and get the, the, the people to to basically enact the, the apology for me and be nice to you. If I can get an army to be nice, then I've achieved something. That's Just let it go, man. Just let it it's go. the best way. Just don't bring it up and it'll go away on its own. Okay, well, through that communication, I've understood what you've said, and I will never bring it up again. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Um, I'm not even mad. I'm not even uh, regretting that little joke there at the end. I'm okay with that. Although, I have to admit, nothing's beat Tara's joke from the end of Captive State, where she uh, said, is there anything else to plug? That that may still be the funny. Okay. That, oh, yeah. that may still be the funniest <laughs> <laughs> that may be the funniest line of this show so far and I'll I'll give her credit for that um, you I thought I was you. going to bring up what I edited at the end <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you because some of you may actually leave before we get to the final line of the show at the end of that show Tara refused to do her catchphrase at the end and I edited it in from another episode because it made it really funny <laughs> so make sure you watch all the way to the end because sometimes we do a little joke at the end after the plugging I was making that clear. Uh, the final thing I have to tell you though is go and follow us on. It's a reward for people to stick around. It is, it's a, it's a reward. Uh, so go and follow us on Twitter at the Ace Podcast uh, for updates and other shenanigans and things. Um, one day I'll convince Tara to like, uh, accept the login details so she can also tweet on it uh, for mm. funds. She can, she can put random thoughts. It, My assistant will do it. Your assistant will do it. What, on behalf of me. What, Gus? <laughs> Yeah, meow. Yeah, meow, 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 meow. Yeah, meow. Tara, there's a lot of, lot of pictures of fish and uh, mace going up on the on the Twitter feed recently. What's going on? This guy's stalking his prey. Mm-hmm. This guy is searching for catnip. <laughs> he's, 
<laughs> I'm a search Gus. <laughs> Gus is on four channel looking for catnip in the back channels. Um, all right, that is uh that has been episode twenty one of the Atomic Cinema Experiment. And I'm pretty confident on the number this time, which is why I did it. I'm pretty confident this is number 21. So thank you very much uh, for joining us. Yes. Oh, 25. I mean, I think 25 is a bigger one. I think at this point we're, we're going for that quarter of the, the hundred. When we hit 25, that'll feel special. Um, we'll get some cake. I'm a little worried that that's going to be like Terminator Salvation, <laughs> number 25. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yes. Uh, but yeah, number 25 uh, will be a, an event. Well, a minor event. Number 50 will be an event. Number 25 is... It's okay. It's, it's notable. If we remember. Yeah. If we remember. <laughs> um, and then, yes. Um, so, yeah. And also, actually, one final thing. We have an email, mftvquestions at gmail.com. If you want to send in questions about any movies we've talked about in the past or things that you know we're going to be talking about soon, uh, feel free to send in. Just put in the subject bar uh, that it's for the ace and um, we'll maybe do questions uh, occasionally. So, do that. You can also cool. ask questions on the Twitter as well if you want uh, at the Ace Podcast. So, yes, without further ado, this has been uh, a fairly epic episode um, of the Atomic Cinema Experiment. So, thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Thank you to patrons who uh, who voted. Thank you, patrons, who voted for the movie. Uh, make sure you vote in the next one, which actually is already up. Um, and Again, we record these a few weeks in advance, so I'm not sure if they're still time to vote on it yet. But the vote that went up is all 1930s science fiction films, and the mm. I, the idea is is that we'll come back to this kind of idea and do like a 40s sci-fi vote. Uh, maybe not the next one, but like maybe the, you know the next couple we'll do 1940s and so on. Uh, so I think the options are Things to Come, King Kong, Flash Gordon. Invisible Man. There you go. Oh, I got it. I yeah. got it. Those are all good. Oh, well, I've never seen Flash Garden, so I can't comment on that. Either. Yeah, but I, actually, I've only seen King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seen but Invisible all, Man. Those are all movies that I would like to see. Oh sure, yeah. Oh yeah, Invisible Man and uh, and oh, I've seen the Invisible Man. All right, good. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I'm sure. I thought I heard you talk about that before. Yeah, I have seen that one. But yeah, uh, but anyways, that is us. So thank you once again for watching and listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching the sci-fi movies, guys. And computer, add salsa. Yum, yum. Yum.